So I, I've already decided if I ever do get invited onto the Ellen Show, which is a very strong possibility, before I even sit down, I'm looking inside that box. I don't know why people just sit down there and don't check first to make sure there's not someone in there waiting to jump out and scare them. So, um, so um, as that little clip uh, may have kind of led you to uh, realize, we're talking about the idea of fear this morning, okay? Ellen is pretty famous for scaring people, and uh, we're at that weekend of the year where uh, just the idea of scaring people is in everyone's minds. Halloween's coming up, people will be trick-or-treating, they'll be going to haunted houses, they'll be watching scary shows on TV. It's just that kind of time of the year where, where people want to be scared. It reminds me of um, when I was a teenager, so I can remember remember one of the scary things I did, okay, was um, I got to watch the music video Thriller by Michael Jackson, okay? Some of you are like, who's Michael Jackson? Now, you've, I think you've heard of him, but so this would have been in the, the mid-80s, okay? This video came out, and you need to understand, okay, I grew up in England, so when I was a teenager in England, we had three channels on our TV, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV. That was it. No cable, no MTV. So when we heard about this music video, uh, this scary video in which Michael Jackson went from being pop star to werewolf, I just, I really wanted to see it, but... I couldn't download it. I couldn't watch it. On so I had to go to my video store every day on the way home from school until finally the VHS of this was in. And I was so super excited. I rented it. And then I had to ride the public bus home 20 minutes. Okay? So you teenagers out here this morning, if you ever get frustrated that you have to wait 15 seconds before you can watch your YouTube video, I sat for 20 minutes with this video on my lap. Okay? Before I finally got home, I got to put it in the VCR. The last person hadn't rewound it. So I had to rewind it. These were the, the stresses of growing up in my generation, okay? But then finally I got to hit play and hide behind the couch and peek over as I watched this terrifying video of Michael Jackson becoming a werewolf. And um, there are lots of things that people will do over the coming days to scare one another or to try and get scared themselves. But the reality is when it comes to fear and anxiety, unfortunately, I know that for many of us, this isn't just a Halloween thing. Fear and anxiety can actually be real, legitimate issues that, that we may face all year long. Some of us may have it all together on the outside, but, but we're battling different examples of fear or anxiety in our lives. And I want to talk about that this morning. I felt like this was a subject that needs to be addressed in the eyes of what God has to say to us about this subject. I found out that a few years ago, Amazon, they released um, a finding, an article that showed the top 25 phrases that have been highlighted in their Kindle books. So let me explain how they came up with that, okay? If you've ever read a book on Kindle, you'll know that as you're reading, you're connected to the internet, and every now and again, you may come across a phrase that's got some dotted lines underneath, and if you click on it, it tells you that so many people have underlined this phrase or this passage, well, back in the, about 2015, Amazon released the top 25 phrases that have been underlined in their books, and I am sad to tell you that 19 of those phrases were from the Hunger Games trilogy. So yeah, of every work of literature that we could be reading, 19 of the top 25 phrases to be underlined were from the Hunger Games. I know, shocking. Number one, uh, with twice as many people underlining this as number two, number two was from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, who is turning in her grave right now at the thought that she was beaten by um, Catching Fire, episode two of the Hunger Games. But this was the phrase that was underlined the most according to, according to Amazon. The phrase was, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. It's kind of an obscure phrase to be underlined so many times. And I'm sorry, but I don't think the reason is the literary depth of Suzanne Collins. I think it's more that this truth resonates with many of the readers. I think many people were reading through this book and they, they caught this phrase, caught their eye because this, this kind of truth came out that sometimes things happen to us and we're not equipped to deal with them. Now, if I went around the room this morning, I bet I could do a survey and take a poll and you know, have you write down a list of things that you don't feel equipped to deal with. And, and I'm sure we could come up with a variety of different answers, but I bet every one of us can think of a few things. It could be a change in a job situation, a family struggle, a health crisis. But the biggest problem this morning 
is that this phrase brings out something in all of us, and that is that whether or not we're equipped to deal with these things, it's the idea that sometimes these things will happen to us and that we may not be able to handle them that fills us with that anxiety or that fear. It's not the fact that these things exist. It's the fact that we're afraid that they might affect us. The phrase that pops into our minds is, be afraid, be very afraid. That was the tagline from a movie, The Fly, in 1986 with Jeff Goldblum, another thing that terrified me when I was a teenager. But I think for some of us, it's more than a movie tagline. It's, it's something that kind of haunts our life. Be afraid, be very afraid. I know that the reality is that many of us here this morning, fear and anxiety is a very real issue. And dealing with those fears and anxieties and, and everyday emotional pressures, it can be crippling. And here's what I found is one of the biggest problems with fear. One of the biggest problems with fear is that we sometimes find ourselves fearing the wrong things. We end up fearing the wrong things. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder if there are some of you here this morning that are afraid of flying. Every time you get on a plane, you're just a little bit anxious. You're just that fear creeps back in. Did you know this morning that you have a 0.000001% chance of dying in an airplane crash? On the other hand, according to the car insurance industry, uh, the average driver will be involved in three or four car crashes in their lifetime, and the odds of dying in a car crash are between 1% and 2%. So if you're afraid of flying, you're feeling great right now. Everyone who's terrified of driving home, I apologize about that. But isn't it crazy how this, this kind of irrational fear, you know, you don't meet many people who are afraid of driving, but you meet a lot of people who are afraid of flying. How about this? Anyone here this morning afraid of riding roller coasters? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I can't get on that thing. That scares me. Well, very wise for you, okay? Because did you know that according to a report, 30,000 people a year are involved in roller coaster-related injuries? 30,000 people a year. So you are right to be afraid. However, I'd like you to compare that to the 253,000 people a year who suffered an injury from a lawnmower. <laughs> so if you're afraid of riding roller coasters, you should be more afraid of using that lawnmower. <laughs> right now, husbands are turning to their wives saying, that's why I'm not cutting the grass. I'm just going to leave it as it is. Any of you afraid of sharks? Being eaten by a shark. Any of you been down to Florida and you're afraid to get in the ocean because what if I get eaten by a shark? Chances of being killed by a shark, one in 300 million. Chances of being killed by your spouse, one in 135,000. There is more chance of you losing your life to your spouse than to a shark. And some wives just whisper to their husbands, if you don't cut the grass, your odds are going to go up even more of being killed by me. See, that's the crazy thing. Part of the problem with fear is that sometimes the fears that grip us are irrational fears, aren't they? If we, if we really thought about it, we think that doesn't really make much sense, but, but I am afraid of this or that or, or this happening. The problem with fear as well isn't just whether it's a rational fear or an irrational fear. One of the other problems with fear is that we just don't know how to shut off our fears. We don't know how to, how to stop ourselves from being afraid of the things that we're afraid of. I can remember growing up, uh, there was a constant battle between me and my sister because as a youngster, I liked to go to bed with the door open in my bedroom, the lights off, but the door open and the landing light left on. So the light would kind of shine into my room. She slept in the room next door. She had her room shut, but she still used to shout out at night, turn the light off, because it would come into the crack under her door and she wanted it pitch black. And I'd be like, no, we're going to keep the light on. She goes, you're just scared. I said, I'm not scared. There's a very rational reason why the light needs to remain on. You see, if I'm laying here in bed and someone comes in to attack me and I open my eyes, I need to be able to see them quickly. And if the lights, and I was convinced that this was a very rational reason for keeping the lights on at night while I was sleeping. Now, it's stupid. The truth is that within 10 minutes, your eyes would adjust enough to the dark that you'd have just as much chance of seeing with the light off as you would with the light on. And let's be honest, if the light is on, and that guy's coming to get me, I mean, all I'm getting is like an extra couple of seconds of realizing he's headed my way and then... It's the end. <laughs> but it was irrational. And I couldn't, even though it kind of made sense in my head, I couldn't switch off that fear. And I bet if we went around the room this morning, we have different fears, different things that make us anxious. And, and we just wish we knew how to shut off those fears. 
The problem is, many of us have these, these legitimate fears that may or may not come to pass, and the, anxi- the anxiety of dealing with the what-ifs is robbing us of the joy that God wants us to have in our lives. And it's all because, as the quote said, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. But this morning, I want to share some great news with all of you here this morning. Great news if you're a follower of Jesus. Great news if you're considering following Jesus. Because you see, what you discover this morning is as you progress in a relationship with Jesus, as you go further down that path of being a disciple and living your life for him, you'll discover that he wants to give you life-giving freedom of real, deep, authentic peace in your lives. He wants you to discover a peace that only he can provide. And today I want to look at something that I think will help all of us this morning, but especially if you've... So I've already decided if I ever do get invited onto the Ellen Show, which is a very strong possibility, before I even sit down, I'm looking inside that box. I don't know why people just sit down there and don't check first to make sure there's not someone in there waiting to jump out and scare them. So... Um, so um, as that little clip uh, may have kind of led you to uh, realize, we are talking about the idea of fear this morning, okay? Ellen is pretty famous for scaring people, and uh, we're at that weekend of the year where uh, just the idea of scaring people is in everyone's minds. Halloween's coming up, people will be trick-or-treating, they'll be going to haunted houses, they'll be watching scary shows on TV. It's just that kind of time of the year where, where people want to be scared. It reminds me of um, when I was a teenager, so I can remember my, one of the scary things I did, okay, was um, I got to watch the music video Thriller by Michael Jackson, okay? Some of you are like, who's Michael Jackson? Now, you've, I think you've heard of him, but so this would have been in the, the mid-80s, okay? This video came out, and you need to understand, okay, I grew up in England, so when I was a teenager in England, we had three channels on our TV, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV. That was it, no cable, no MTV. So when we heard about this music video, uh, this scary video in which Michael Jackson went from being pop star to werewolf, I just, I really wanted to see it, but... I couldn't download it. I couldn't watch it. it. So I had to go to my video store every day on the way home from school until finally the VHS of this was in. And I was so super excited. I rented it, and then I had to ride the public bus home 20 minutes, okay? So you teenagers out here this morning, if you ever get frustrated that you have to wait 15 seconds before you can watch your YouTube video, I sat for 20 minutes with this video on my lap, okay? Before I finally got home, I got to put it in the VCR. The last person hadn't rewound it, so I had to rewind wind it. These were the the stresses of growing up in my generation, okay? But then finally I got to hit play and hide behind the couch and peek over as I watched this terrifying video of Michael Jackson becoming a werewolf. And um, there are lots of things that people will do over the coming days to scare one another or to try and get scared themselves. But the reality is when it comes to fear and anxiety, unfortunately, I know that for many of us, This isn't just a Halloween thing. Fear and anxiety can actually be real, legitimate issues that that we may face all year long. Some of us may have it all together on the outside, but but we're battling different examples of fear or anxiety in our lives. And I want to talk about that this morning. I felt like this was a subject that needs to be addressed in the eyes of what God has to say to us about this subject. I found out that a few years ago, Amazon, they released um, a finding, an article that showed the top 25 phrases that have been highlighted in their Kindle books. So let me explain how they came up with that, okay? If you've ever read a book on Kindle, you'll know that as you're reading, you're connected to the internet, and every now and again, you may come across a phrase that's got some dotted lines underneath, and if you click on it, it tells you that so many people have underlined this phrase or this passage, well, back in the, about 2015, Amazon released the top 25 phrases that have been underlined in their books, and I am sad to tell you that 19 of those phrases were from the Hunger Games trilogy. 
So yeah, of every work of literature that we could be reading, 19 of the top 25 phrases to be underlined were from the Hunger Games. I know, shocking. Number one, uh, with twice as many people underlining this as number two. Number two was from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, who is turning in her grave right now at the thought that she was beaten by um, Catching Fire, episode two of the Hunger Games. But this was the phrase that was underlined the most according according to Amazon. The phrase was, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. It's kind of an obscure phrase to be underlined so many times. And I'm sorry, but I don't think the reason is the literary depth of Suzanne Collins. I think it's more that this truth resonates with many of the readers. I think many people were reading through this book and they they caught this phrase, caught their eye because this this kind of truth came out that sometimes things happen to us and we're not equipped to deal with them. Now, if I went around the room this morning, I bet I could do a survey and take a poll and, you know, have you write down a list of things that you don't feel equipped to deal with. And, And I'm sure we could come up with a variety of different answers, but I bet every one of us can think of a few things. It could be a change in a job situation, a family struggle, a health crisis. But the biggest problem this morning is that this phrase brings out something in all of us. And that is that whether or not we're equipped to deal with these things, it's the idea that sometimes these things will happen to us and that we may not be able to handle them that fills us with that anxiety or that fear. It's not the fact that these things exist. It's the fact that we're afraid that they might affect us. The phrase that pops into our minds is, be afraid, be very afraid. That was the tagline from a movie, The Fly, in 1986 with Jeff Goldblum, another thing that terrified me when I was a teenager. But I think for some of us, it's more than a movie tagline. It's it's something that kind of haunts our life. Be afraid, be very afraid. I know that the reality is that many of us here this morning, fear and anxiety is a very real issue. And dealing with those fears and anxieties and and everyday emotional pressures, it can be crippling. And here's what I found is one of the biggest problems with fear. One of the biggest problems with fear is that we sometimes find ourselves fearing the wrong things. We end up fearing the wrong things. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder if there are some of you here this morning that are afraid of flying. Every time you get on a plane, you're just a little bit anxious. You're just that fear creeps back in. Did you know this morning that you have a 0.000001% chance of dying in an airplane crash? On the other hand, according to the car insurance industry, uh, the average driver will be involved in three or four car crashes in their lifetime, and the odds of dying in a car crash are between 1% and 2%. So if you're afraid of flying, you're feeling great right now. Everyone who's terrified of driving home, I apologize about that. But isn't it crazy how this, this kind of irrational fear, you know, you don't meet many people who are afraid of driving, but you meet a lot of people who are afraid of flying. How about this? Anyone here this morning afraid of riding roller coasters? Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I can't get on that thing. That scares me. Well, very wise for you, okay? Because did you know that according to a report, 30,000 people a year are involved in roller coaster-related injuries? 30,000 people a year. So you are right to be afraid. However, I'd like you to compare that to the 253,000 people a year who suffered an injury from a lawnmower. (laughs) So if you're afraid of riding roller coasters, you should be more afraid of using that lawnmower. (laughs) Right now, husbands are turning to their wives saying, that's why I'm not cutting the grass. I'm just going to leave it as it is. Any of you afraid of sharks? Being eaten by a shark. Any of you been down to Florida and you're afraid to get in the ocean because what if I get eaten by a shark? Chances of being killed by a shark, one in 300 million. Chances of being killed by your spouse, one in 135,000. There is more chance of you losing your life to your spouse than to a shark. And some wives just whisper to their husbands, if you don't cut the grass, your odds are going to go up even more of being killed by me. See, that's the crazy thing. Part of the problem with fear is that sometimes the fears that grip us are irrational fears, aren't they? If we, if we really thought about it, we think that doesn't really make much sense, but, but I am afraid of this or that or, or this happening. 
The problem with fear as well isn't just whether it's a rational fear or an irrational fear. One of the other problems with fear is that we just don't know how to shut off our fears. We don't know how to, how to stop ourselves from being afraid of the things that we're afraid of. I can remember growing up, uh, there was a constant battle between me and my sister because as a youngster, I liked to go to bed with the door open in my bedroom, the lights off, but the door open and the landing light left on. So the light would kind of shine into my room. She slept in the room next door. She had her room shut, but she still used to shout out at night, turn the light off, because it would come into the crack under her door and she wanted it pitch black. And I'd be like, no, we're going to keep the light on. She goes, you're just scared. I said, I'm not scared. There's a very rational reason why the light needs to remain on. You see, if I'm laying here in bed and someone comes in to attack me and I open my eyes, I need to be able to see them quickly. And if the lights, and I was convinced that this was a very rational reason for keeping the lights on at night while I was sleeping. Now, it's stupid. The truth is that within 10 minutes, your eyes would adjust enough to the dark that you'd have just as much chance of seeing with the light off as you would with the light on. And let's be honest, if the light is on, and that guy's coming to get me, I mean, all I'm getting is like an extra couple of seconds of realizing he's headed my way, and then it's the end. <laughs> but it was irrational. And I couldn't, even though it kind of made sense in my head, I couldn't switch off that fear. And I bet if we went around the room this morning, we have different fears, different things that make us anxious. And, and we just wish we knew how to shut off those fears. The problem is, many of us have these, these legitimate fears that may or may not come to pass. And the, anxi the anxiety of dealing with the what-ifs is robbing us of the joy that God wants us to have in our lives. And it's all because, as the quote said, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. But this morning, I want to share some great news with all of you here this morning. Great news if you're a follower of Jesus. Great news if you're considering following Jesus. Because you see, what you're going to discover this morning is as you progress in a relationship with Jesus, as you go further down that path, of being a disciple and living your life for him, you'll discover that he wants to give you life-giving freedom of real, deep, authentic peace in your lives. He wants you to discover a peace that only he can provide. And today I want to look at something that I think will help all of us this morning, but especially if you've ever battled any kind of anxiety or fear in your lives. We're going to look at the writings of a guy by the name of Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, he wrote a large part of the New Testament. Uh, he was a brand new believer, a follower of Jesus, and uh, Jesus just transformed his life. And, and much of the writings we have of Paul are his letters that he was writing to, to Christ followers, to brand new churches in that area. And he was writing one particular letter to a group of Christians in a city called Philippi. And we're going to look at that uh, letter this morning. It's Philippians, and we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Listen to what Paul says as he's writing to these people. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now there's something interesting to notice just in the, the opening words of this passage. And that is God, through Paul as he's writing here, he's actually commanding us not to, be, not to worry. This doesn't start out with a suggestion or an idea. He says, don't worry about anything. In the original language that this was written in, in Greek, it's actually written in a, a context of what's called an aortist imperative. It's a command. Paul is saying, this is a command. Don't worry about anything. So why a question? Why, why, oh, sorry, not why a command? Why not a suggestion? Well, Paul himself goes on to explain. He says, if you don't follow this command, you're going to miss out on something that God wants to give you. This is why this is a command, because there is something that God wants to give you. 
You see it kind of as the bookends to this passage. It starts out by talking about experiencing God's peace. And in the very end, he talks about the God of peace will be with you. And he's, he's talking about this peace that God wants to give us. And the peace can only come if we'll make that decision not to worry. Now, Paul's not saying here that if you become a follower of Jesus, that you won't actually have things to be afraid of. But what he is saying is that God has designed life for you and me to be one of peace in the midst of the things that could cause fear. And if you get nothing else this morning, I pray that you'll get this, that you'll learn what it means to be able to find peace in your life. Peace that can only be found through a relationship with Jesus. A peace that will help you to be free from anxiety. Because Jesus cares so much for you. Unlike this unfortunate sign that was trying to communicate that Jesus cares, okay? They didn't really think about the format of the thing. And uh, I want to show you this morning, Jesus doesn't scare. <laughs> Jesus cares. And if you're scared, it's important to know that Jesus cares. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, but come on, Paul. That's easy for you to write. You're this great Christian man. You have this great relationship with God. You're, you know, you're writing this. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand why I'm dealing with these, these fears or these anxieties. But let me explain why Paul was writing what he was writing in these particular verses. You see, Paul was giving real-world advice to some Christ followers in this Greek town of Philippi. Paul had actually started this church there himself, but had been run out of town, had been persecuted, had, been, had basically been chased out of there for what he was preaching and teaching. The people that were left behind to run the church, they were being persecuted for their faith. So Paul, after he left, wrote a series of letters to them. What we have now in the book of Philippians is actually what most scholars believe is a compilation of two or three different letters, kind of like emails of encouragement, that were basically being written to people suffering from PTSD, who were in this city having been persecuted. They were fearful of the persecution that was still to come. And Paul writes the words that we just read to those people. So what do you tell somebody who's afraid that bad things are going to happen? What do you tell somebody who's experienced bad things in their life? You tell them what we just read. Don't worry about anything. But let's break it down, shall we? There's kind of three kind of points here, three ways in which I think Paul gives them some, some keys here to be able to conquer this anxiety, to discover this peace that God wants to give. The first is this, he kind of says to them, I want you to interrupt it and reverse it. Interrupt it and reverse it. What he's saying here when he says, don't worry about anything, is, is basically you need, you need to immediately tell yourself, I'm not going there. This is not a thought from God. This is from the enemy. Either the enemy is um, an undisciplined mind or the actual enemy of God himself who's out to, to persecute me. So it's making that decision when worries and anxiety and fear come in to say, I am not going to go there. But why do we go there? Why is it so easy to go there and to creep into anxiety and worry? I discovered in preparing for this message that a neuroscience researcher by the name of Alex Korb from UCLA, he wrote about this in a book he wrote called The Upward Spiral. I, I discovered something fascinating about the whole idea of worry and anxiety. Now, obviously, I know that most of you this morning are very well-versed in your neuroscientific studies. I'm sure many of you have read this book. But just in case you haven't, let me share one of the findings that Dr. Korb himself came up with. He said this about worrying. He said, in fact, worrying can help calm the limbic system by increasing activity in the medial prefrontal, cor prefrontal cortex and decreasing activity in the amygdala. That might seem counterintuitive, but it just goes to show that if you're feeling anxiety, doing something about it, even worrying, is better than doing nothing. So what this scientist has discovered is that uh, there's, there's actually a chemical reaction that goes on in our brain, that when we start to worry, our brain actually feels a little bit better. Because our brain starts to realize, oh, at least we're doing something. At least we're, you know, we're worrying is at least doing something about the problem. So there's actually some chemistry going on that, that contributes to the worry. 
But then this guy goes on to say, but long-term, that's a terrible thing. Long-term, it's bad for your mind. It's bad for your brain to keep worrying. So he tries to bring out some ideas of what we can do to stop ourselves from worrying. And this is the big finding that he came up with. And you're going to find out soon here that this is actually pretty um, amazing that he came to this conclusion. But the conclusion he came to was to, in the midst of those worries, to ask one question. In the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of those worries, to ask this question, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? He said in the book, and I found an article on this book, I didn't read the whole book, but the article kind of broke this down and it said that in the book that says the benefits of gratitude start with the dopamine system because feeling grateful activates the brainstem region that produces dopamine. He said one powerful effect of gratitude is that it can boost serotonin. Trying to think of things you are grateful for forces you to focus on the positive aspects of your life. The simple act increases serotonin production in the anterior cingulate cortex, as I'm sure you all knew. But the production of this serotonin, the production of this dopamine, there are drugs that you can take right now that will do that in your mind to help deal with depression, anxiety, worry. And he's saying that when studying the brain, With the advancements with brain scan technology, he saw that when subjects, when people who were being researched was just starting to be grateful, it released those chemicals in their brain. It changed the chemistry of their brain. Now, here's why I think this is so incredible. Because he just discovered this in the last few years. But let's go back to what Paul was saying to those people in Philippi in verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 2,000 years before this scientific study, Paul is saying, hey, you want to know how to combat anxiety and fear? Here's something you can do. You can thank God for all he has done. This is this crazy thing that this study produced. When asked what it is we should be grateful for, according to Dr. Korb, it doesn't matter. You don't have to find anything. It's the searching that counts. He says in the book, it's not finding gratitude that matters most. It's remembering to look in the first place. Remembering to be grateful is a form of emotional intelligence. So even if you can't think of anything to be grateful for, just the fact that you're trying to find something to be thankful for combats the worry and anxiety and stress in your life. And if you are struggling to find something to be thankful for, can I suggest you download that song that we sang earlier, Just I Am Who You Say I Am. It is full of just some wonderful truths of who we are in the eyes of God. If you want something to be thankful for, we sang those words this morning of how thankful we can be, how great God is, and how much he loves every one of us. You know, another thing Paul does is he challenges the people just to to get to a place of telling God that we need him to lift this from us. We need to tell God, God, I need you to lift this from me. Listen to how um, he explains it here. He says in verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. That moment you start to feel anxious, tell God, God, I give this anxiety to you. I'm not meant to carry this. You didn't create me to carry this. God, I need you to lift this off of me. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he said this. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is a guy who spent three years of his life alongside Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There was a missionary lived... 100 years ago or so, and his name was Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary to India, one of the very first people to go to this uncharted area to just share with this people group how much Jesus loves them. He left the comforts of his home and I'm sure went on a very fear-filled journey to this place, but listen to how he describes fear in relation to his faith. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land, faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. 
In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. A John Hopkins University doctor says, we do not know why it is that warriors die sooner than non-warriors, but that is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, I think I know. It's that we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. God made us not to live in fear. And that's one of the promises, that's one of the, um, the benefits as we are as followers of Jesus that we can step into. But we have to take that choice. And I want to tell you this morning that as I was preparing this message, as I knew I'd be talking about this message, I fully understand that especially this morning, if this is a big um, part of your life, dealing with anxiety and fear, I don't want this to come across as, all you've got to do is just flick the switch, because I realize it's not that easy. I realize it's not a case of just, but I do realize that there is a first step you can take. And I think that first step will then lead to another step and another step. And maybe if it's just choosing to be grateful, in those times of anxiety. Maybe it's just turning to God saying, God, please take this from me. I need you to take this off of my shoulders. Maybe it's this third idea that Paul had, and that's to fill our minds with Scripture. To fill our minds with Scripture. Listen to what he said in verse 8. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So what are these things that we're to think of that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable? They are the words of Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and other New Testament writers who have written so many wonderful things. If you read through them, you'll find that there is a promise for every problem that you and I are facing. But unless we're going to read those and find those, we'll never know. Here's an example of one. We've, we've talked about it already. Peter said, cast all your cares onto Jesus because he cares for you. Sorry, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a promise that we can give those anxieties, those fears to Jesus. But it's easy to read. It's hard sometimes to do, isn't it? Just this week, I went out to check the mail and I grabbed the mail from the mailbox. I was walking up towards the house, just kind of flicking through what was there. And one of the letters was addressed to me and Casey from the IRS. And instantly, fear and anxiety, I'm like, oh, my stomach kind of knotted up. I walked all the way to the house, all the way into the house, sat down thinking, what could this be? What is this October? We're nowhere near tax time. Why would they be writing to me? This has got to be bad news. I'm being audited. I'm going to have to pay fine. I could have just opened it there and then on the driveway, but I just, I just was kind of worrying. I sit down, I open this letter from the IRS, and it says, Dear Mr. Jane, recently you um, applied for your son's college uh, situation, and this is just to confirm that the tax information has been passed along to the college. And oh. I was thinking, why don't the IRS, I think they should have a system where for letters like that, there's something on the outside of the envelope that just says, it's okay, this, this letter's okay. <laughs> this is just to let you know that everything's checked out. This isn't a scary letter. But here's why I got fearful when I got this letter. So I used to run a ministry called Ace Teams. It was a, uh, a program for young adults and um, a ministry program. I was the only person on staff, so I kind of took care of everything and... Um, about 12 years ago, I remember getting a letter from the IRS to the ACE's office, and I opened it, and it said, um, the IRS is right to let you know that we are auditing ACE teams, and one of our representatives will be there in two weeks to go over all of your paperwork. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like horrified. I called this tax friend of mine, and it's an accountant, and I said, you know, what's this about? He goes, I could be anything. He goes, you're going to need to get every paper you can think of, every document, every note from every meeting you've ever had, gather them all together because they're going to want to go through everything. And he said, and I, I just want to warn you, they will find something. That's what they do. They'll, they'll just find something. There'll be a fine involved. And I was like, ah. So I went through boxes and I was printing off emails and I was getting stuff and I was creating stuff and I'm trying to get all these papers together, you know, just to make sure. <laughs> we'll edit that out in the video. I was... Um, <laughs> I was getting all this stuff together. As, but what was happening is I'm gathering all this paperwork. I'm thinking and thinking about what's going to happen. 
I'm getting more and more nervous. I'm thinking they're going to discover. I bet I've been doing it wrong all these years. I bet I owe thousands of dollars. I bet it's going to have to come out of my money. We're going to have to declare bankruptcy. It's going to be worse. I'm going to be arrested. Ace teams will be like the Enron of the church. Dave Jane will be paraded out in front of report. I mean, I'm just, the psychologists actually have a phrase for this. It's called catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is when you take something and you just make it worse and it gets worse and worse and worse and something's like, ah. Two weeks later, this lady arrives and I open the door from the IRS and bring her into the office and uh, I say, hi, it's very nice to meet you and I'm trying to sound as innocent as possible and the more I try to, the more guilty I feel like I sound and I, uh, I show her in and she's in there for about 20 minutes and I'm kind of pacing, you know, just not sure, should I go in and check on her or is that going to make me look more guilty? And, and suddenly she comes out, she goes, Mr. Jane, she goes, I need to ask you uh, about this particular form. She said, I'm just wondering why you don't send this check and this form in every quarter like you're required to. So I just held my hands out so she could cuff me <laughs> right there. I said, I'm guilty. I, now I held my hands out and grabbed the form and I looked at it and I recognized the form and I said, oh, well, the reason I don't do that anymore is because, and I dug through some papers, I said, because I got this letter recently from the IRS just about six months ago and this letter tells me I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And she looks at it, she goes, hmm. She goes, you're right. She goes, I'm not sure why you got that letter because you should still be doing it, but if this department has said that you don't have to do it anymore, I guess that's fine, so you don't have to do it anymore. I was like, okay. She goes, well, that's all I needed was just here to check on that, so uh, I'm good now, I'll be leaving. I'm like, seriously? You couldn't have just asked me that over the phone? I mean, surely there had to be another way of finding out if it was just this one letter. But for two weeks, I mean, I'd been awake at night, and I know that we... All have a story like that. I know we'll have other stories like that. Because we allow fear and anxiety to take a place in our lives that God never intended to be there. In fact, not only did he not intend that fear and anxiety to be there, he intended to be replaced by what Paul talks about here, and that is the peace of God. God wants us to experience peace in that area of our lives. But to find that peace it's going to require us making some decisions. Because you know what the first thing I should have done when I got that letter from the IRS? When I found out from my friend that they'll most likely find something. And those anxieties and those fears, they began to creep in. Right there, I should have interrupted it. I should have reversed it. I should have started to look for all the things I had to be grateful for. I should have asked God, God, lift this burden off my shoulders. God, I need to give this to you. I should have started to fill my mind with the promises from Jesus because there are so many of them. Just this one alone could have kept me going through those two weeks in John 14, 27, when Jesus said this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Just that promise alone to have fixed my eyes and my attention. Maybe that's a verse that we need to, to write down and, and say each morning when those anxieties creep in. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace is a gift that this world that we live in cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Because if there's one thing that we can all learn this morning from this passage, that whatever it is that causes fear or anxiety... For me, growing up, it was the dark. If, like me, you're afraid of the dark, even when it's close to midnight and something evil seems to be lurking in the dark, Jesus is in the darkness with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is very easy to talk about, very easy to believe. It's, it's not easy to put into practice when those things creep into our lives that bring with them fear and anxiety. But I want to thank you, Lord, that you created a solution. You created a way for us to be able to, to cast our cares upon you, Lord, to, to give these things to you, to make positive choices like choosing to be grateful instead of being worried. There are things that we can do to help eliminate that anxiety. And I realize, Lord, that for some, that's not going to be easy, like just flicking a switch, but a step in that direction, a step believing that you can change that area of our lives, Lord will help us, help us move in that direction, help us battle the fears and the anxieties that creep in and help us to discover the peace that only you can bring. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Tell yourself, I'm not going there. This is not a thought from God. This is from the enemy. Either the enemy is um, an undisciplined mind or the actual enemy of God himself who's out to, to persecute me. So it's making that decision when worries and anxiety and fear come in to say, I am not going to go there. But why do we go there? Why is it so easy to go there and to creep into anxiety and worry? I discovered in preparing for this message that a neuroscience researcher by the name of Alex Korb from UCLA, he wrote about this in a book he wrote called The Upward Spiral. I I discovered something fascinating about the whole idea of worry and anxiety. Now, obviously, I know that most of you this morning are very well-versed in your neuroscientific studies. I'm sure many of you have read this book. But just in case you haven't, let me share one of the findings that Dr. Korb himself came up with. He said this about worrying. He said, in fact, worrying can help calm the limbic system by increasing activity in the medial prefrontal prefrontal cortex and decreasing activity in the amygdala. That might seem counterintuitive, but it just goes to show that if you're feeling anxiety, doing something about it, even worrying, is better than doing nothing. So what this scientist has discovered is that uh, there's, there's actually a chemical reaction that goes on in our brain, that when we start to worry, our brain actually feels a little bit better. Because our brain starts to realize, oh, at least we're doing something. At least we're, you know, we're worrying is at least doing something about the problem. So there's actually some chemistry going on that that contributes to the worry. But then this guy goes on to say, but long-term, that's a terrible thing. Long-term, it's bad for your mind. It's bad for your brain to keep worrying. So he tries to bring out some ideas of what we can do to stop ourselves from worrying. And this is the big finding that he came up with. And you're going to find out soon here that this is actually pretty um, amazing that he came to this conclusion. But the conclusion he came to was to, in the midst of those worries, to ask one question. In the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of those worries, to ask this question, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? He said in the book, and I found an article on this book, I didn't read the whole book, but the article kind of broke this down, and it said that, in the book, that says the benefits of gratitude start with the dopamine system, because feeling grateful activates the brainstem region that produces dopamine. He said one powerful effect of gratitude is that it can boost serotonin. Trying to think of things you are grateful for forces you to focus on the positive aspects of your life. The simple act increases serotonin production in the anterior cingulate cortex, as I'm sure you all knew. <laughs> but the production of this serotonin, the production of this dopamine, there are drugs that you can take right now that will do that in your mind to help deal with depression, anxiety, worry. And he's saying that when studying the brain, With the advancements with brain scan technology, he saw that when subjects, when people who were being researched was just starting to be grateful, it released those chemicals in their brain. It changed the chemistry of their brain. Now, here's why I think this is so incredible. Because he just discovered this in the last few years. But let's go back to what Paul was saying to those people in Philippi in verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 2,000 years before this scientific study, Paul is saying, hey, you want to know how to combat anxiety and fear? Here's something you can do. You can thank God for all he has done. Listen to this crazy thing that this study produced. When asked what it is we should be grateful for, according to Dr. Korb, it doesn't matter. You don't have to find anything. It's the searching that counts. He says in the book, it's not finding gratitude that matters most. It's remembering to look in the first place. Remembering to be grateful is a form of emotional intelligence. So even if you can't think of anything to be grateful for, just the fact that you're trying to find something to be thankful for combats the worry and anxiety and stress in your life. And if you are struggling to find something to be thankful for, can I suggest you download that song that we sang earlier, just I am who you say I am. It is full of just some wonderful truths of who we are in the eyes of God. If you want something to be thankful for, we sang those words this morning of how thankful we can be, how great God is and how much he loves every one of us. 
You know, another thing Paul does is he challenges the people just to, to get to a place of telling God that we need him to lift this from us. We need to tell God, God, I need you to lift this from me. Listen to how um, he explains it here. He says in verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. That moment you start to feel anxious, tell God, God, I give this anxiety to you. I'm not meant to carry this. You didn't create me to carry this. God, I need you to lift this off of me. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he said this. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is a guy who spent three years of his life alongside Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There was a missionary who lived... 100 years ago or so, and his name was Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary to India, one of the very first people to go to this uncharted area to just share with this people group how much Jesus loves them. He left the comforts of his home and I'm sure went on a very fear-filled journey to this place. But listen to how he describes fear in relation to his faith. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. A John Hopkins University doctor says, we do not know why it is that warriors die sooner than non-warriors, but that is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, I think I know. It's that we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. God made us not to live in fear. And that's one of the promises. That's one of the, um, the benefits as we are as followers of Jesus that we can step into. But we have to take that choice. And I want to tell you this morning that as I was preparing this message, as I knew I'd be talking about this message, I fully understand that especially this morning, if this is a big um, part of your life dealing with anxiety and fear, I don't want this to come across as all you've got to do is just flick the switch because I realize it's not that easy. I realize it's not a case of just but... I do realize that there is a first step you can take. And I think that first step will then lead to another step and another step. And maybe if it's just choosing to be grateful in those times of anxiety, maybe if it's just turning to God saying, God, please take this from me. I need you to take this off of my shoulders. Maybe it's this third idea that Paul had, and that's to fill our minds with Scripture. To fill our minds with Scripture. Listen to what he said in verse 8. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So what are these things that we're to think of that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable? They are the words of Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and other New Testament writers who have written so many wonderful things. If you read through them, you'll find that there is a promise for every problem that you and I are facing. But unless we're going to read those and find those, we'll never know. Here's an example of one. We've, we've talked about it already. Peter said, cast all your cares onto Jesus because he cares for you. Sorry, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a promise that we can give those anxieties, those fears to Jesus. But it's easy to read. It's hard sometimes to do, isn't it? Just this week, I went out to check the mail and I grabbed the mail from the mailbox. I was walking up towards the house, just kind of flicking through what was there. And one of the letters was addressed to me and Casey from the IRS. And instantly, fear and anxiety, I'm like, oh, my stomach kind of knotted up. 
I walked all the way to the house, all the way into the house, sat down thinking, what could this be? What is this October? We're nowhere near tax time. Why would they be writing to me? This has got to be bad news. I'm being audited. I'm going to have to pay fine. I could have just opened it there and then on the driveway, but I just, I just was kind of worrying. I sit down, I open this letter from the IRS, and it says, Dear Mr. Jane, recently you um, applied for your son's college uh, situation, and this is just to confirm that the tax information has been passed along to the college. And oh. I was thinking, why don't the IRS, I think they should have a system where for letters like that, there's something on the outside of the envelope that just says, it's okay, this, this letter's okay. <laughs> this is just to let you know that everything's checked out. This isn't a scary letter. But here's why I got fearful when I got this letter. So I used to run a ministry called Ace Teams. It was a, uh, a program for young adults and um, a ministry program. I was the only person on staff, so I kind of took care of everything and... Um, about 12 years ago, I remember getting a letter from the IRS to the ACEAM's office, and I opened it, and it said, um, the IRS is writing to let you know that we are auditing ACEAM's, and one of our representatives will be there in two weeks to go over all of your paperwork. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like horrified. I called this tax friend of mine that's an accountant, and I said, you know, what's this about? He goes, I could be anything. He goes, you're going to need to get every paper you can think of, every document, every note from every meeting you've ever had, gather them all together because they're going to want to go through everything. And he said, and I, I just want to warn you, they will find something. That's what they do. They'll, they'll just find something. There'll be a fine involved. And I was like, ah. So I went through boxes and I was printing off emails and I was getting stuff and I was creating stuff and I'm trying to get all these papers together, you know, just to make sure. <laughs> we'll edit that out of the video. I was... Um, <laughs> I was getting all this stuff together. But what was happening is I'm gathering all this paperwork. I'm thinking and thinking about what's going to happen. I'm getting more and more nervous. I'm thinking they're going to discover. I bet I've been doing it wrong all these years. I bet I owe thousands of dollars. I bet it's going to have to come out of my money. We're going to have to declare bankruptcy. It's going to be worse. I'm going to be arrested. Ace teams will be like the Enron of the church. Dave Jane will be paraded out in front of report. I mean, I'm just, the psychologists actually have a phrase for this. It's called catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is when you take something and you just make it worse and it gets worse and worse and worse. And something's like, ah. Two weeks later, this lady arrives, and I open the door from the IRS and bring her into the office, and uh, I say, hi, it's very nice to meet you, and I'm trying to sound as innocent as possible, and the more I try to, the more guilty I feel like I sound, and I, uh, I show her in, and she's in there for about 20 minutes, and I'm kind of pacing, you know, just not sure, should I go in and check on her, or is that going to make me look more guilty, and, and suddenly she comes out, she goes, Mr. Jane, she goes, I need to ask you uh, about this particular form, she said, I'm just wondering why you don't send this check and this form in every quarter like you're required to. So I just held my hands out so she could cuff me <laughs> right there. I said, I'm guilty. I... Now I held my hands out and grabbed the form and I looked at it and I recognized the form and I said, oh, well, the reason I don't do that anymore is because, and I dug through some papers, I said, because I got this letter recently from the IRS just about six months ago and this letter tells me I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And she looks at it, she goes, hmm. She goes, you're right. She goes, I'm not sure why you got that letter because you should still be doing it, but if this department has said that you don't have to do it anymore, I guess that's fine, so you don't have to do it anymore. I was like, okay. She goes, well, that's all I needed was just here to check on that, so uh, I'm good now, I'll be leaving. I'm like, seriously? You couldn't have just asked me that over the phone? I mean, surely there had to be another way of finding out if it was just this one letter. But for two weeks, I mean, I'd been awake at night, and I know that we... All have a story like that. I know we'll have other stories like that. Because we allow fear and anxiety to take a place in our lives that God never intended to be there. In fact, not only did he not intend that fear and anxiety to be there, he intended to be replaced by what Paul talks about here, and that is the peace of God. God wants us to experience peace in that area of our lives. But to find that peace... It's going to require us making some decisions. Because you know what the first thing I should have done when I got that letter from the IRS? When I found out from my friend that they'll most likely find something. And those anxieties and those fears, they began to creep in. Right there, I should have interrupted it. I should have reversed it. I should have started to look for all the things I had to be grateful for. I should have asked God, God, lift this burden off my shoulders. God, I need to give this to you. I should have started to fill my mind with the promises from Jesus because there are so many of them. 
Just this one alone could have kept me going through those two weeks in John 14, 27, when Jesus said this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Just that promise alone to have fixed my eyes and my attention. Maybe that's a verse that we need to to write down and, and say each morning when those anxieties creep in. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace is a gift that this world that we live in cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Because if there's one thing that we can all learn this morning from this passage, that whatever it is that causes fear or anxiety, for me growing up, it was the dark. If like me, you're afraid of the dark, even when it's close to midnight and something evil seems to be lurking in the dark, Jesus is in the darkness with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is very easy to talk about, very easy to believe. It's, it's not easy to put into practice when those things creep into our lives that bring with them fear and anxiety. But I want to thank you, Lord, that you created a solution. You created a way for us to be able to, to cast our cares upon you, Lord, to, to give these things to you, to make positive choices like choosing to be grateful instead of being worried. There are things that we can do to help eliminate that anxiety. And I realize, Lord, that for some, that's not going to be easy, like just flicking a switch, but a step in that direction, a step believing that you can change that area of our lives, Lord, will help us. Help us move in that direction. Help us battle the fears and the anxieties that creep in and help us to discover the peace that only you can bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.